If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Stuff That Howard Has Eaten. <laughs> if you're just joining us, I'm Kat, that's Jethro. This right. is the box of oddities. And we have dogs. And we have dogs and we shouldn't uh, because we are now very poor and... <laughs> 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 After a series of vet trips. Which are ongoing. Yeah. Um, we were actually pretty fortunate this week. Uh, the the things that Howard ate didn't end up being uh, dangerous, but... Um, you know, he does have some sort of corn fetish, it appears. He, he got into your leftover, what was it, pad thai? And he ate an entire ear of baby corn. Whole. We didn't know. Until 3 a.m. rolls around and he gets off the bed and I can hear him throwing up. And I was like, oh, no. And so I got up and put my glasses on and I went to clean up the vomit. But it wasn't vomit. It was just a baby corn ear. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, no, that's what you get. That's gross. People ask us. What is it like to be full-time podcasters? You guys must live in a a magical existence. No, I just clean up a lot of dog vomit. Yep, that's what we do. And this is interesting because uh, last Christmas, I gave you my heart, Mm -hmm. and the very next day you gave it away. It was painful, but... um, Well, you should have saved the receipt. Also, one of our friends sent us a dog toy in the shape of an ear of corn and it's haggis's very favorite toy he loves it and last week howard destroyed it at least i know what i'm going to get howard for christmas this year corn so it's the last episode before christmas and i thought i would do a traditional uh, christmas story about a swedish copper mine Ah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it has nothing to do with Christmas. I'm just really bad at segues. Um, In Sweden, mining operations have been going on for a very long time. In fact, there's a copper mine there. It's called the Falan Mine, and it's been operating for nearly a thousand years. What? 
The mine is located in Delmarna County, and it is so rich in copper ore, they started mining this land in the 10th century, and they just shut the mine down in 1992. It was one of the longest continually operating mines in Europe. In fact, so much copper ore was pulled from this mine that at its peak, it produced two-thirds of all of Europe's copper needs. Wow. One mine. Wait. Did you read about this in the Smithsonian? Because the most recent Smithsonian magazine that we got, the cover says, Copper and the King. No, but that's kind of what sent me in this direction. Got it. Centuries of continuous mining created a vast network of hidden passages, ancient chambers, and long-lost mine shafts. Ooh. By the early 1700s, this particular mine... The Falan mine had become a large subterranean labyrinth that extended for miles and miles. It's a very eerie place, especially when you consider that at the time it was so poorly lit by small greasy lanterns, they actually would go down and build fires in the mine. Yeah, so people could see what they were doing. That seems like an idea that I would have that someone would then explain to me why it's a terrible idea. (laughs) When the mine was in its prime, there was plenty of work for anyone who wanted it. It was the heart of Sweden's economy. But things got really weird in one mine, one chilly December morning in 1719. See, it's a holiday story. It was Saturday, December 2nd. 1719, and it began like any other workday at the mine. The miners put on their helmets and their gear, and they descended into the bowels of the shaft system. (laughs) Their lamps only lit the floor of the mine shaft directly in front of them. There was darkness all about. The men cast strange-looking shadows across the sides of the mine shaft, and I can only imagine that one's imagination would run wild in in an environment like that. Especially this day, they were heading into a new area that they were excavating. And in order to get there, they had to traverse a very old section of the mine. Mm. It was a section that had been closed off for decades. See, I'm claustrophobic Mm. and not just a little. And um, (laughs) this makes me think of like the movie The Descent. And um, the the idea that maybe maybe some people got trapped down there Mm. like hundreds of years ago and Mm. then um, became like mine people. And and they're all pale and they don't have eyeballs. And they're cannibalistic. But they have glorious copper jewelry. So one small group of miners broke off from the ranks. They descended even further into their workspace, Mm. which was a timber lined mine tunnel. They call that a chair. I don't know why that Uh, is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. This area was roughly 480 feet below the surface. (gasps) Its walls were lined with logs and it lay between two major mine shafts. In order to get to the farthest shaft, they had to break through a wall that had been sealed off decades prior. Since it had been sealed off for a very, very long time, It had uh, completely flooded with water, and the workers didn't know this. As the work progressed, they broke through this wall and into this decades-old shaft that had been sealed off. And once they did, water burst through the wall, and it dispersed all about them. Now, it didn't flood the shaft, but the water did come up to about their knees. 
This makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, considering it put their fire out, they had no idea what was going on. They quickly lit some hand lanterns. And what they discovered was water wasn't the only thing that came in from the mine shaft that had been sealed so many years prior. Corpses? Yeah. Oh, geez. As they looked down at the water, they couldn't believe what they saw. It was the corpse of a man, pale and eerily preserved. The dead man had flowed with the water through the collapsed wall. As you can imagine, these guys were pretty freaked out. I know I would be. It was dark, poorly lit, cold water flowing in all around them. And there at their feet, a well-preserved dead body floating in the water. As the miners gathered their wits, they examined the corpse and it was seemingly the body of a perished miner. However, both of his legs were completely missing. Uh. The strangest thing was that the body seemed to be completely and perfectly preserved. The dead man's face and hands and hair and clothing that he wore, according to witnesses, were superbly preserved and showed not even the slightest trace of decay or deterioration. Now, this is confusing considering that uh, the body had been walled up at least several decades. Allegedly. Prior. It had been sealed in this mine shaft floating in water for a very, very long time. But it looked like it had just perished yesterday. In fact, they found a brass tobacco box in the corpse's pocket of his vest, and inside was a perfectly preserved piece of tobacco. It was still fresh. Stunned, the men returned to the surface and immediately alerted local authorities. Now, there was a great deal of confusion because nobody had reported anybody missing recently. There had been no uh, reported accidents involving miners. Yet this appeared to be a very fresh corpse. Was it perhaps a recent murder and somebody was trying to hide the body? But then again, how did they get it into a mine shaft that had been sealed nearly a half century earlier? Well, the pale eyeless people know where to go <laughs> with their bodies to gnaw on their legs. The, the best guess was that it was a miner who had perished in a landslide or a similar accident that occurred in the mine shaft. But... Mm -hmm. That shaft hadn't been worked on again for nearly half a century, and this man looked like he had just died perhaps a day before. Probably did. A special assembly was established to investigate. Now, mines were so important in Sweden. Like I said, they were kind of like the, the economic engine at the time. And so because of that, they had a special jurisdiction and a special court. This is the kind of thing that they would make a reality TV show about now. It's so specific and weird. It's like the mine trials, <laughs> mine court. I always thought a, a great reality series would be uh, like funeral home wars. You know, you just have these morticians competing against each other to see who can repair the body the best. I like it. Anyway, this group of authorities began serious investigations into the incident. One of the lead investigators was a man named Anders Swab. He was a renowned scholar, a miner, and the assessor of the Royal Mining College of Stockholm. His letters and documents from this court survive Mine court. and provide a very accurate and valuable historic look into this case. What we know is this. When the body was discovered, it was extremely lifelike, almost fresh. And when the corpse was taken above the ground, the dead man soon started to dry out and according to all accounts at the time, became, quote, hard as wood. 
His features were well-preserved, but he was hard as stone. Medical examiners and naturalists of the time agreed that the water in which the body had been trapped inside the collapsed mine had a very high consistency of vitriol. This is very common in copper mines, and it was this powerful natural sulfuric acid that was able to prevent and preserve the body so well. In fact, after it was brought to the surface and it turned to stone, it remained uncorrupted. In fact, they put the body on display. Oh, wow. For 30 years, they called it the petrified miner. That sounds like me anytime I had to wait for the bus. <laughs> you have a fear of buses when you were younger? No, the, the, the people driving by in vans, I sure did. Oh, okay. So they had a pretty good idea of how the body had been uh, preserved. Now they needed to try to find out the identity of this man. By December 10th of 1719, the court investigation was well underway. The body was so well preserved that a miner named Mons Hansen claimed he recognized the guy. He said that the dead man was an old friend named Mats Israelson. M-A-T-T-S. He was known by his fellow miners because he was kind of a robust man. He was known as Fat Mats. Oh, geez. So he hadn't been in there for a long, 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 long time. It had been somewhat recently, and the, the blind, pale mine monsters snagged him. Is that what we're saying No, that's now? not even remotely close to what I'm no. saying. Mr. Hansen confirmed that Fat Mats was born in the village of Boda, which was about 12 and a half miles northeast of the mine shaft where he was found. But he said he remembered when Fat Mats disappeared. To the best of his recollection, he thought it was about 1676, and it was the autumn of that year. So it was about 40 years before. Fat Mats descended alone into the shaft. He descended into the shaft standing on a barrel that was used to transport ore to the surface, and he never returned. Okay. They never found the body, obviously, and it was assumed that he had perished somehow in the shaft. The act of descending while standing on the edge of a barrel was particularly dangerous, especially if the miner was going down alone, which Fat Mats allegedly was. So they're putting the pieces together, and this guy apparently disappeared 40 years prior to them finding his body. And the reason he looked so fresh is because of the mineral content in the water inside right. the copper mine. What happened to his legs? We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. The court asked Mr. Hansen how he could be certain of the year, and he said that his own father had died in February of 1677, and he remembered Fat Mats had disappeared the autumn prior to that. Some people are just really good at remembering stuff like that. Like, sometimes you'll be all like, oh, yeah, no, I remember the summer of 1978. I had a red cardigan I wore a lot. And also, the guy down the street made a sandwich out of bologna. Yeah, it's just, I don't know exactly how to describe, but, but you're good at it. You have good memory. I have good long-term memory. Unfortunately, I can't remember to close the refrigerator door. Now, along with this guy, two mining bailiffs came forward, Eric Michelson and Eric Pearson. They both, apparently everybody in the village was named Eric. They both claimed that they could recognize the deceased body and that it was, in their opinion, Fat Mats. While the testimony is going on into the investigation of the body, the body itself was on display. Right. Now, people came from all over and filed by endlessly. It seemed day and night to catch a glimpse of this body. One woman, whose name was Margreta 
Old's daughter, who was at the time an aged widow, approached the body and was shocked when she recognized the man that she had been engaged to 40 years prior. She recalled that the future looked bright for her and Matt's, but he mysteriously disappeared without a, without a trace. Uh. After a few years, she married someone else. She should be on the new show, Real Housewives of Minecourt. She claimed, though, that he didn't disappear in seventeen or in 1676. He actually disappeared the following spring, 1677, specifically 14 days before Good Friday. She said that her fiancé went down into the shafts to light the fires that were used to illuminate. A colleague was supposed to do this job, but for, for some reason wasn't able to, and Matz was just filling in for him. It's pretty amazing to have these court records, and we can access these detailed testimonies. The court was able to quickly come to a verdict. On December 10th, it was stated that the deceased man was, in fact, Matz Israelson, known as Fat Matz, a minor that perished alone sometime between autumn of 1676 and spring of 1677. The reason for his demise, pretty simple to explain, working in copper mines in the late 1600s was a dangerous job. At the time, there were several ways that you could descend into a mine shaft. You could go down you know, a simple ladder, or in some cases, they would carve steps into the rock. But the simplest, fastest, and most efficient way... Be dragged by mine monsters. <laughs> but was also the most dangerous method was transportation by barrel. A barrel would be lowered into the shaft and transport the ore out while the miner would stand on its edge. This was immensely risky, but it was quick. It's fairly safe to assume that Matz perhaps lost his balance while standing on the edge of the barrel during the descent and fell into the mine shaft where the transport barrel sheared his legs off. I'm not really sure how the machinery worked, but that was their assumption. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, there was a tradition in those days for miners in Sweden. Whenever they worked in a mine, they always carried a silver coin. It was called a riksdollar. Often, they would hang it around their neck like an amulet, or they would carry it in a pocket. It was believed that carrying this coin would bring them luck and protect the man from any accidents. They were almost always carried when descending into dangerous shafts, and they did always carry them when they descended on the edge of a barrel. It had been 43 years since Fat Matz died when they discovered his body. There was no coin found on his person, even though, like I mentioned before, they did find a tobacco box mm -hmm. in his uh, vest pocket. It's true the coin could have gotten lost, but many speculate that Fat Matz, because he was just filling in for another guy, didn't bring the lucky coin that day, and that's why the barrel descent ended so tragically. Because then he could have used the coin to pay off the <laughs> yeah. blind mind monsters? Mm -hmm. Fat Matt's Israelson is survived today by relatives, direct descendants. They still live a fairly normal life and have preserved the memory of their unfortunate ancestor. Bertel Israel was born in 1946, and he lives in the village of Boda on the very same farm where Fat Matt's was born and grew up. Wow. He's a direct descendant of Fat Matt's. In fact, a ninth generation descendant, to be exact. In his collection of family heirlooms, he has two very special coins. 
One is a silver Rex dollar coin from 1677. The other is a smaller coin that was minted in 1719, the year that he was found. Both of these coins have been kept and cared for by the descendants of Fat Mats, generation after generation. Now, Bertel says that his grandmother told him the story. The fiancé of Fat Mats, Margreta, gave these coins to the relative of her deceased fiancé, requesting that they keep these coins, they never separate them, and keep the memory of Fat Mats alive. Apparently, the coin from 1677, according to his former fiancé, was the one he should have taken with him down in the mineshaft that fateful day. But in his hurry, he had left it home. The body of Mats Israelson, the petrified miner, was kept on display for 30 years after its discovery. Where is he now? Well, he was buried eventually after 30 years under a very simple gravestone in a churchyard not far from the farm where he was born. And even though he was a simple man and unremarkable in his day, because of his strange demise, he became more famous after his death than when he was alive. In fact, here we are 340 years after he died and we're still talking about this guy. Mats Israelson, or Fat Mats if you prefer, the petrified miner. My information came from Ancient Origins, Wikipedia, Atlas Obscura, and the New Yorker magazine. There weren't any blind cannibalistic <laughs> subterranean mm-hmm. monsters in this one anyway. <laughs> and now, that thing in the middle. Li Jingyi was a young mother in China when her son was kidnapped in 1988. Li never gave up and searched for her son for years, traveling through over 20 provinces and hundreds of towns looking for him. After 32 years, she found him. In addition, during her quest, she helped reunite 29 other abducted children with their families. We just love this time of year, the lights, songs, and decorations, the food, the drink, oh, the drink, saying something inappropriate to a co-worker after a few too many, getting fired because of it, and telling your damned spouse you're out of work, again. We just love this time of year. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
when I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash boxofoddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is reading the comments, going through the emails, and following discussions on our social media groups. 
This email came in from Dustin. It says, hi, guys, I'm on box 383. And Kat says she gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and wonders how many people in the building are also peeing at the same time. Mm. I do a similar thing. Sometimes I'll be cleaning or working on a project or something, and the thought will pop into my mind. I wonder what James Hatfield of Metallica is doing right at this moment. (laughs) Or Carrie Ann Moss. I was thinking about The Matrix. Once in a while, Chris Hemsworth. Now, I'm sure that since I'm writing this letter, one day it's going to happen, and I'm going to wonder what Kat and JG are doing right at this moment while I'm putting together a computer. Well, right at this moment, uh, Dustin, we're reading your email, and we we appreciate you taking the time to send it to us. (laughs) I've... I had a similar thing happen the other day because we went to Magic Kingdom and we went on Jungle Cruise, one of my favorites. And uh, shout out, by the way, to Skipper Reese, who did (laughs) such an incredible job. Uh, But uh, yeah, so we were on Jungle Cruise. And then later on the day, I was doing something completely unrelated. And I was like, I wonder what Dwayne The Rock Johnson's up to right now. And it took me a bit to figure out like why that had popped into my head. And I was like, oh, because we were on Jungle Cruise earlier today. But anyway, um, I often wonder about The Rock. We came across a preview of one of his earlier films when he still had hair. And we we had a bit of a discussion as to whether or not that was actually him. Yeah, it was strange. He looks so much cooler with a bald head. Absolutely. But many people do. It's not... I, I've thought many times about doing it myself. Yeah? No. Really? But I think I have a weird-shaped head. I read Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. He talks about his hair loss and how he decided to just shave his head. Mm-hmm. And he was about to do a movie and how the, the movie producers got really mad at him for shaving his head, especially since when he shaved his head, it was lily white and covered in psoriasis. Oh, no. <laughs> you never know what's under there. You don't. Yeah. So be careful if you're going to shave your head. That's our message to you this day. Be careful if you're going to shave your head. What do you got for me, girl? You know, it's one of my favorite things to do as we are within the holiday season to explore some holidays from around the world Ah, and traditions from around the world that maybe we aren't familiar with. So here we go. Wales. One of the places that my ancestors are from, it's a place very close to my heart, very special to me. I want to go to Swansea very much. Anyway, um, there is a holiday tradition in Wales. And as the legend goes, during the holidays, the dead horse, Mary Lloyd, rises from the grave and goes door to door, challenging those who open the door To a rhyming battle of wits. Wait, a dead horse Mm -hmm. comes to life and then challenge you to a rap battle. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. So so what happens is uh, a group of celebrators, very similar to like the Skecklers that we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, So a group of celebrators will take around this heavily decorated horse skull, knock on doors, and when the door opens, the group will sing Mary Lloyd's Challenge, then start a puinco, or a call-and-response rhyme battle. Basically, you would start a rhyme, the person inside has to respond with a rhyme, and it goes back and forth until someone fails. Do the rhymes have to be a put down or uh, an insult? <laughs> no, they're not necessarily talking smack, um, like on Eight Mile. Because uh, that's what I picture. 
A dead equestrian eight mile. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but there are some rhymes that we know about that you might sing to the dead horse. Wine comes in at the mouth, and love comes in at the eye. That's all we shall know for truth before we grow old and die. <laughs> I lift the glass to my mouth. I look at you, and I sigh. Wow. Yeah. Lay some fat beats behind that, and <laughs> you got something. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like it. Moving on, though, to uh, another traditional legendary holiday guy is the Karankalos, which seems to be kind of a demon version of a Sasquatch. Ooh. Now, versions of this fella can be found in Greece, Bulgaria, Turkey, Serbia, Albania, Bosnia, and Cyprus. Now, the Greek term for this guy is Kalikansaros, and that is speculated to come from the Greek Kalos Kentaros, which means beautiful centaur. Huh. Although a lot of people argue with that and say that it actually comes from the Turkish Kara Konjolos, which means werewolf or vampire, from Kara Black and Konkolos, bloodsucker werewolf. Oh my God. Nothing in, says happy holidays like a bloodsucking werewolf. In Greek mythology, they say that this monster saws the trunk of the world tree so that it will collapse along with the world. But during the final part of Christmas, this guy gets distracted and comes up to the surface. They forget about the tree and, and they just want to bring trouble to all the mortals. Many Greeks Imagine this guy as being tall, hairy, with burning red eyes, goats or donkey ears, monkey's arms, huge tongues, um, which doesn't sound like a beautiful centaur, if you ask me. No, I'm going with the Turkish translation on that one. They also allegedly eat frogs and speak with a lisp. These frogs are delicious. Ghosts and demons are all over the place during the 12 days of Christmas, and the Karankalos joins the chaos. So he hangs out at night waiting for an unsuspecting victim to wander by, a la a lot of episodes of Criminal Minds that we've seen recently. <laughs> and then he jumps on their back, and he demands a piggyback ride until dawn. But he's like the size of a Sasquatch. Yeah. Um, you couldn't even carry him to the next corner, but <laughs> let alone all the way through the night into the early morning hours. He also might lure people out of their homes by mimicking the voices of the people that they love, which <laughs> I think is straight up terrifying. And then threaten them if he doesn't get a piggyback ride. That's correct. Yes. Wow. In Turkey, the version of this guy hangs out on street corners during the winter waiting for someone to walk by, and then he asks them a question. And if the answer that they give doesn't include the word black, the karankolos will strike that person dead. In Albania, their version is called the kukuth, and they are kind of a gypsy undead corpse who goes around in January uh, with heavy chains all over his body, killing people with their deadly breath. <laughs> There's no winning. So he's not so much into the trivia, right. more of just a halitosis kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it's a festive Yuletide Sasquatch with halitosis. The vulgar, <laughs> the Bulgarian name of the demon is Karakon Jewel, and they are very human-like, except they have a very hairy body, a tail, some horns, one eye sometimes, and sometimes they just stand on a single leg, or sometimes they have a horse head. Mm. So not as human-like as maybe originally I made it out to sound like. They (laughs) could be shapeshifters. And that's the thing um, about this version is that it can appear in any number of ways. But the thing is, in Bulgaria, they don't just sit around and complain about their murderous, shape-shifting Yuletide monsters. They don costumes that uh, cover most of their body that are decorated with wooden masks of animals, and they wear large bells attached to their belts. And then they walk around in a parade, scaring the spirits away with their costumes and the sounds of their bells. All right. Well, that sounds somewhat festive. Yes, that I actually uh, have great interest in and would love to go see. Mm. The hairy, frog-eating, horse-head guy, not so much. Mm. But this festival sounds neat. So again, he appears in a lot of different regions in a lot of different ways. But overall, it's pretty much the same idea. Moving right along to the Alpine regions of southern Germany and Austria. Now we're talking about Frau Perchta. Frau Perchta shows up during the nights of the 12 days of Christmas. And traditionally, she enforces the community rules and traditions um, and or rewards kind, hardworking folks and punishes the lazy. Frau Perchta uh, has this long history that's actually really interesting. Uh, she's also known as Bertha and <laughs> has been called the Frau. And so, okay, so the concept of Perchta and Bertha is that she is one and the same, but two different entities. So she appears in one light and then her flip side, you know, because everything has a dark and a light side. She is Bertha, who represents fertility and all kinds of good stuff. And then Perchta, who is kind of the up. Opposite of that. Not not so bright and cheery. So kind of like the heat miser and the snow miser. Um from a year without Santa Claus. I I recognize those names, but I actually don't know what you're talking about. So we're talking about a classic Rankin Bass production from the early 70s. You're my favorite relic from the 70s. <laughs> Um, This actually has an interesting history in um, Christianity coming into play and when paganism was a more prevalent part of this region, Bertha was a goddess that a lot of women worshipped. And as paganism was being pushed out and Christianity was taken over, they turned Bertha into a dual goddess who would also punish you to try to make her scary so that people wouldn't worship her so much. So uh, Perchta allegedly has a beaked nose made of iron and uh, she carries a cane and kind of resembles a decrepit old crone a la the 
beginning of Beauty and the Beast. You, you know what I'm getting at. Uh-huh. Now, she flies through the night sky, attended by an army of lost souls, including the demonic-looking Perchten, her army of servants, and she's super judgmental. So she wants you to make sure you have all of your work done and that your house is way clean. Uh-huh. And also you have to have porridge out for her. I see. Now, if you don't have all of your flax spun by the 12th night, which is January 6th, also Richard Gere, Ladies who haven't finished their weaving are punished. There are stories in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland of Frau Perchta trampling and setting fire to half-spun fibers. She seems nice. And if you've not left out her bowl of porridge or if your home is unkempt, She's also sometimes known as the belly slitter. So she has a knife hidden under her skirt and she'll cut open your stomach, disembowel you and replace your innards with straw, pebbles and trash. Really? This is quite a tradition. And then she'll stomp your unfinished work with her deformed goose feet. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Who came up with this shit? Happy holidays. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I have about Perchta. <laughs> All of those things are alarming, but you really ended on a low note there. Thank that you. Was, that was something else. So happy holidays, everyone. Yeah. Um, we hope in all sincerity that your holidays are wonderful, have been wonderful, will be wonderful. We're continuing with our holiday tradition of making Christmas Eve Big Macs. And then locking ourselves in our home and not opening the door for two days. I love that tradition. Yeah. It's far better than having the belly slitter come over and trample me with her goose feet. We'll see you next time, freaks. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved Well, no, that's not what I want to say <laughs> Okay. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? 
Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.